Hi, my name is Emily Monroe, and I'm currently a Hackworth Fellow with the Markula Center for Applied Ethics on campus, which is a fellowship designed to allow students to choose a research topic and then spend the year bringing dialogue around that ethical issue to Santa Clara students. So my research this year has been on the topic of gender inequality and leadership. And gender discrimination and diversity issues still plague the business world, and companies seem either stumped as to how to approach diversity and inclusion, or unwilling to commit to the change in the way things have historically been done. As part of my research, I interviewed 12 women in high-powered leadership roles from different fields and industries, from finance to law to tech to everything in between, and asked them to talk about their experience as a woman in leadership and their perspective about the future of gender diversity. I want to be clear that the conversations that I had with these women in no way create a complete picture of what's happening in the world and in the business world and in the leadership community. These are just the experiences of 12 different women. However, I think that these experiences are really highly indicative of a larger issue and a larger experience that a lot of women have encountered. In this podcast, I'm going to start out by talking about why gender inequality still exists in a time when I think that we would all like to say that it no longer does and how it most frequently manifests itself in leadership roles and towards women in leadership roles. From there, we're going to talk about what companies have done historically to try to increase diversity, what companies are doing now, and what companies should be doing or could try to do in order to increase diversity. Additionally, I'm going to touch on things like balancing work and family and the impact that the Me Too movement might have on the workplace moving forward. The last part of the interviews that I had with the women was devoted to advice that they would give to young women entering the work world. After the interviews, I took the advice that the women gave me and I synthesized them into 10 steps that women can take to own their career from the very beginning. And I highly recommend you check out that article on the Markla Center website or in the Santa Clara newspaper. Before I dive in completely to all of the great things that came out of these conversations, I want to make a quick note about anonymity. So as a research project approved by the university's Institutional Review Board, all 12 of the women I interviewed were given the option to remain anonymous. And after conducting all of the interviews and from their responses in accordance with the university's IRB policies, the women will remain anonymous in this podcast. I will, however, sometimes refer to industries and positions uh, when helpful to clarify context. I want to start out by talking about how far we've come in terms of diversity and inclusion initiatives. The good news is that gender inequality has gotten better in recent decades, but with everything currently in the news, from politics to the Me Too movement to the World Economic Forum's report that gender equity actually got worse last year for the first time since they started measuring it, it's pretty easy to feel discouraged with the current state of diversity. However, all of the women I spoke with talked about the difference between when they first enter the work world and how diversity is treated now. The stories the woman told ranged from the severe lack of female representation in meetings and in places like courtrooms to explicit bias situations, where one woman who was working in recruiting at the time was even chastised for hiring too many women and was specifically told to hire less because women were not a good investment in finance. Some of the stories that I heard throughout the interviews made my jaw literally drop by how completely ridiculous they were. But while we've come a long way, we still have a long way to go, and a lot of the things that are currently happening in especially tech and finance are completely worthy of a jaw drop. So what does gender bias look like today? In recent years, the trend has been away from explicit bias and more towards implicit bias. Explicit bias is easy to identify and punish, while implicit bias is much more ingrained and systematic and trickier to get rid of. 
In society as a whole, as well as in the work world, there seem to be different rules that men and women have to play by. A lawyer in a large law firm I spoke with explained that there's different things that men can get away with that will immediately get a woman written off as catty, bossy, or cold, or a myriad of other things. These unwritten rules and expectations for women are the direct result of the implicit bias that our society's stereotypes still uphold within the work world. A big issue that many of the women touched upon was that when a woman speaks out to HR about a problem, this becomes part of the woman's personal brand, and often it's seen as a negative thing. She spoke up, she rocked the boat, she's difficult to work with, she causes problems. As ludicrous as this is, it's something that women need to be aware of. It's not as simple as facing discrimination, reporting it, and moving on with your career. There's a level of strategy required to even just progress in a company. Which leads me to one of the most interesting conversations and issues that came up during the interviews. Almost every interview I had came with the takeaway that women have a choice between being a champion for change, for diversity, and moving their individual career forward. The advice that many of the women who made it to the C-level suite uh, gave was just to ignore the politics, ignore the bias, and keep your head down, do really great work, and make sure people are aware of it. As a student spending the last year dedicated to researching gender inequality, at first I was a bit resistant to this answer. People have the power to choose when, where, and how they speak out about different issues, and how they do this becomes part of their brand. So women must be aware of which battles they're willing to fight. And this probably will change and evolve during different phases of a career, but it's something that women need to be aware of. Women have to be strategic about it in order to balance creating a more ethical, diverse, and inclusive company culture while simultaneously moving forward their own personal career. When I posed the dilemma to one woman in particular, she explained that women can fight for diversity and forward their careers, they just have to do it carefully. Women need to present diversity and inclusion initiatives as financial benefits to the company, not necessarily an ethics issue, even though that's exactly what it is. So in order to increase diversity and inclusion in the world, we have to start at the root of the problem. So I asked the women to talk about why gender inequality still exists to create a starting point in the discussion about how to fix it. So one executive in finance explained it to me this way. Historically, there have been a lack of women in diversity in many industries, and with this lack of women, the behavior and locker room talk that takes place becomes really prevalent and really problematic which then perpetuates stereotypes and makes it even harder for women to thrive and climb the ladder in these organizations. This then often makes them vote with their feet and leave the company altogether, or just makes it difficult for them to thrive in that situation, which then cements the company culture because there's a lack of women again, and the status quo continues, which makes it a vicious cycle where women are never able to either ascend and the culture is rewarded for the way it is. Another woman who I spoke with who specializes in diversity and inclusion initiatives also explained that there's an expectation with every new generation that enters the work world that with that new generation, the situation is naturally going to fix itself. Every generation thinks that they're their own saviors. In dialogues and discussions I had with students on campus just earlier this year, this was the one of the most common things that students said, that as our generation enters the workforce and moves up, the problem will naturally be solved. This woman pointed out, however, that this isn't the case. Diversity and inclusion are not the current status quo, and new generations entering the workforce aren't naturally going to change that and magically fix the situation. However, this misconception that the situation is naturally going to change over time and it's going to improve over time makes people relax a little bit and not put as much emphasis 
effort and emphasis into fixing the situation. Two other women I spoke with independently both cited one of the same things in perpetuating gender inequality in leadership. Women don't help women. Another woman I spoke to suspected it was because women in leadership had to fight so hard to get to the top that they want other women to understand how difficult they had to fight. Whether that's right or for whatever reason, men are often better sponsors, mentors, and allies for women in the workplace rather than other women, which needs to change if the culture of inequity is going to change. Another big part of it, though, is that the work world still really hasn't figured out how to make it work for people to balance both work and families. And this often gets cited as the cause of the issue, though it's a lot deeper and more complicated than just one thing. Making sure that people can balance work and family is a simple issue on the surface. However, when you actually get down to it, it gets a lot more complicated. Women who choose to take time off to raise a family often have a really difficult time getting back into their career. Additionally, if they are able to get back into their field, it's often at a much lower level than when they left. So suddenly women are left with the feeling of being behind in their career because your old coworkers are now much higher up and your new peers are significantly younger than you. So there's a feeling of being out of place. One way that people have tried to find a balance is to work part-time. One of the women I talked to, who was a partner at a large global law firm, spent 10 years working part-time when her children were young, and her career has been in no way inhibited by that decision. But this experience is not the same for everyone, and she had some really strong advice for how companies need to go about creating part-time programs. Allowing women or men to work part-time is not enough. First, part-time needs to mean part-time. One common issue is when women are technically part-time and being paid as a part-time employee, but putting in full-time hours to get the work done. This is really common in law and many other industries, but what it does is just increase the pay gap by having women working full-time hours for a part-time pay. So in order to make part-time work, it must really mean part-time. Additionally, part-time work needs to be challenging and interesting, and not just the projects that no one else wants to do. Another woman I spoke to was able to balance work and family with her company allowing her to work flexible hours. And a lot of companies haven't been able to figure out or implement successfully flexible hour situations, but her company was. So she would work all morning and then she would stop at 3 p.m. to pick up her daughter from school and then not work again until she put her daughter to bed that night. Once her daughter was asleep, then she would hop back on the computer and answer emails and put in a few more hours. And the way she explained it was that her company recognized that in such a global world, every company has managed to figure out a way of working with different time zones, so flexible hours for U.S. employees really shouldn't be that different. Which got me thinking, working with people internationally is not always straightforward or convenient, but companies recognize the value and necessity of working on an international level, so they make it work. Companies need to start looking at diversity and inclusion issues the same way. Having a diverse workforce has been proven time and time again to have huge financial benefits for companies. So companies need to figure out how to make it work and get away from the stigma. No one would get mad at a coworker in a foreign country because they didn't respond to an email right away because it's 3 a.m. in their time zone. So why can't companies seem to figure out how to make flexible working arrangements actually work for people in the U.S.? Now, before I go on to talk about some of the really great ideas that the women had to talk about, about how companies can foster cultures of diversity and inclusion, I want to take a little detour to talk about sexual harassment and the Me Too movement. 
So sexual harassment is nothing new, but with so much discussion and publicity of the issue in the news, I felt it would be unfair to not ask the women their opinion. And so I asked the women about how they thought that the Me Too movement would affect how the work world approaches sexual harassment. To be completely honest, I was expecting really straightforward responses from the women. Because in my mind, going into this, sexual harassment was a really straightforward issue. It shouldn't happen in the first place, but if it does, there needs to be immediate and clear repercussions for the perpetrator. End of story. And some of the women I spoke with were completely on board with this and recognized that the Me Too movement is super important in progressing the way that we think about sexual harassment. And so the Me Too movement is not necessarily going to reduce sexual harassment incidents, but it is going to help to take away some of the stigma of sexual harassment so that women or men who are harassed feel more comfortable and empowered to speak up. However, I also heard another perspective from these conversations that I hadn't thought about before, the need to be careful of an overcorrection. So everyone knows what is and is not appropriate behavior. And in theory, because of that, policies should be straightforward to prevent and punish harassment. But with the Me Too movement and so much awareness of sexual harassment, a few of the women expressed the concern that companies are going to overcorrect and create policies such as, you know, one man and one woman cannot go on a business trip together alone because it could lead to sexual harassment. Um, But policies like this don't promote diversity. They instead just emphasize the differences between genders and set up walls that divide companies and teams rather than creating an inclusive, respectful environment. Additionally, one of the reasons why women sometimes struggle to move up in companies is a lack of access to informal networking opportunities. So like when teams go out to drinks after work. And so this hyper-focus on sexual harassment could actually have unintended and unnecessary consequences of having more divisions rather than an inclusive environment. And like I mentioned before, people know what appropriate and inappropriate behavior looks like. So as companies make shifts to update their policies to protect all employees from sexual harassment, which is something that companies need to be doing, they also need to be careful that they're creating policies that actually hit the root of the issue and not just to create excessive barriers that prevent collaborative work environments. Lastly, from all this information about how far things have come and how far things still need to go, I turned to how companies can actually embrace diversity and foster inclusive cultures. In addition to the things like flexible working arrangements and sexual harassment policies, which I've already touched upon. The first step to achieving diversity in companies is that people have to actually honestly want it. And that doesn't just mean hiring more minorities and putting more women at the table. It's about truly valuing diverse opinions and perspectives. And this has to be a prerequisite for any work towards diversity because if it isn't a sincere desire to create an inclusive environment, everything else is going to fall short. At this point, to actually build a company culture of inclusion, it all needs to start with transparent and clear expectations for performance and behavior that companies set and uphold. And diversity practices have to be considered in every area of the business, from access and recruiting to what the daily experience looks like working for employees. Part of this also is just getting people talking. So by providing a space where employees and managers can honestly discuss how diversity of opinion contributes to a better situation, the whole company is drawn into a collective goal of inclusion. 
Additionally, there are tools out there for companies to help shape their culture. So there's some software called CultureAmp that helps to measure and shape culture and can be especially helpful during the onboarding process. So there are tools out there to help companies begin to implement change once they make the decision to embrace diversity. Also, one common practice that's currently used a lot to try to promote diversity is for companies to host women's networking groups. Uh, but often these get the reputation for a place where women go to complain, um, not to mention the fact that if there are only women in these groups, the company decision makers who are historically and still majority male aren't present to actually network with. Instead, a couple of women I spoke with advocated switching these women's networking groups to training sessions where women are taught how to mentor other women and are given the tools to do so. And the idea of positive mentorship, it's a skill and it can be taught and learned and can be incredibly helpful in bringing up and supporting other women in the organization. So the mindset needs to be that every successful woman brings up another woman with her. But on a much broader level, though, there are still societal shifts that need to be made from the current mindset that embracing diversity is a great thing to more of a realistic mindset that not embracing diversity is actively unethical. And this shift is probably going to take longer than a company changes because it's more systematic. But I still have hope that we will get there in the near future. Now, obviously, the ideas and suggestions that I've presented in this podcast from the conversation I've had with women in leadership roles are not all-encompassing of the complexities of gender inequity, but these conversations have been filled with thought-provoking ideas that create a solid foundation to jump off of in working towards a more inclusive world. I want to finish by thanking all 12 women who set aside time in their incredibly busy schedules to talk to me about these really complicated and often personal issues. I am so grateful for the opportunity to hear your stories, and I hope that this will encourage current Santa Clara students to take up the gauntlet and continue on the dialogue around inequities in our leadership world. If you're interested in learning more about leadership ethics or gender inequality, check out the Marcola Center for Applied Ethics website because they have a lot of really great resources and links that can get you more information.